Good morning. Hope everyone's well. Everyone doing okay? Good. All right. Um, I hope everyone got to make it out Friday. It was a really, really good worship night if you weren't there. That was a neat venue. Um, I imagine we'll probably use that place again. That was really, really cool. So if you're new to the church, um, what we do here is we go through whole books of the Bible. Right now we are in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, um, which is a very interesting book of the Bible. And we'll take a break from it this weekend, and then next weekend we'll get right back into it. Chapter 7, which has some interesting content, um, but, but that's kind of been the trend in 1 Corinthians, interesting content. So we'll get back to that next week. This week I'll do something that, that this is not the way I normally teach. We're going to be teaching on baptism. I'll be teaching on baptism, and I will jump around throughout mostly the New Testament, which is something I rarely do. I don't jump around. We typically go line by line, chapter by chapter through a book of the Bible. But the reason why we do this, and, and it's interesting, every single year, uh, because I've been teaching this lesson for a long time, I contemplate, should, I, should, should we only do you know, one or two baptism services a year? Should I change this lesson? Should we do it differently? Because I, I, I worry sometimes about it becoming mundane or, or boring to people. But the reason why I always feel conviction about that is this is kind of what the church is all about, is getting people to the point to where they are publicly professing their faith and baptism is a part of that. Right? The whole point of church is not worship nights or even teaching the Bible and things like that. The whole point of church is to get people into a relationship with Jesus, and baptism is a huge part of that process. So this is kind of, in a way, the pinnacle of what we do is baptism. And so it's very, very important. It's the best measure to see if we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church. So again, the reason why we teach the Bible systematically, the reason why we have worship nights, the reason why we're doing all this right now, the reason why we're involved in the community is in the hopes of making disciples of Jesus. And again, baptism is a, is a large part of that process. So, um, so that's why we teach it. And so here's the goal. I have, I have two goals today. One, if you are in here and you've been baptized, you don't need to be baptized, but maybe you have never been taught a lesson on baptism, my first goal is if, this, if someone ever approaches you or if you're discipling someone or walking with someone who's maybe new in their faith, that you will have the knowledge to talk to them about such a thing as baptism. Okay, that's my first goal. So I'll give you some evidence and some parts of the Bible that will educate you on why baptism is a big deal. The second goal is, is probably the most obvious, that if you are in this room this morning and if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, I hope to, again, give you evidence and challenge you uh, to, to consider getting baptized this morning. We have clothes and we have warm water and we have towels and we have everything ready to go that if you have not taken this step, today would be a pretty good day to consider that. So that's my goal this morning, those two things, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Has everything uh, I'm gonna say in there? Everything will be on the screens. Everything is on the Experience Community app. So we should be in good shape. Um, on an unrelated topic, and, and I, I, I hate to start off with this, but uh, guys, you need to be praying for, for the world right now. Uh, I know we just got off a lengthy fast that I hope a lot of you uh, participated in, but the world is, is very chaotic right now, and it should break our hearts. What is happening in the Ukraine, which is the most Christian nation in Eastern Europe, and so we should, should be praying for them, and quite honestly, guys, we need to be praying for our own nation. Um, because we're not what we're supposed to be right now. And we need to be praying for that. And uh, 
It doesn't do any good to argue with people about it. It does a lot more good if we would pray for our nation, for our leadership, for the people in our nation, that we can turn a, turn a corner and do what we're supposed to do. So God has not blessed us to the point he has blessed us for us to sit idly by as innocent people get hurt. And so don't, please don't applaud for that because I shouldn't have said it. So uh, that's, I know I do not use this platform as a, as a political, that's not my game, but um, we need to be praying, okay? So in, in light of what I just said there, let, let me pray. We will jump into this lesson on baptism and we'll invite anyone who wants to get baptized or take communion or pray at the end of service, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for everything you've given us. Lord, we are blessed. We are very fortunate people. Thank you for the freedom and the safety, God, that we experience this morning. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on our church and um, our campuses and all the different churches and the communities where we are, God, and, and the ones here in Murfreesboro. Lord, we thank you for the partnership that we've got to have with our public school system this month and getting to support them financially and morally, God. And so we pray blessings over our teachers and faculty and our school boards. Lord, and, and in light of what we just talked about, God, uh, we pray for the people of Ukraine this morning. We pray protection over them, God, and in this very chaotic world, sometimes it's easy to forget, Lord, that you are in control, that you know what's going on, Lord, and so we, we rest in that and we trust that. And Father, we pray for our nation, Lord. Uh, we pray that we can be humble, God, and that we can do what we're supposed to do, Lord, on the global stage and individually, that we can be that we're supposed to be, God. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Keep your hand on us as we study your word today. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you know nothing about baptism, baptism is not overtly complicated to understand. What baptism is, is it's a public display that one has chosen to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says this is where we become a new person, a new man and a new woman. The analogy I always use, and it's very, very simple, but it helps me understand it, is baptism is much like a wedding ring. This is not my marriage, but it is symbolic of the fact that I am devoted to one person, my wife. Baptism is not your salvation, but it is similar to a wedding ring in the fact that you are saying to the world around you, you are exclusive to one person, Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, he is the husband, right? So this whole wedding ring analogy works out really, really well for baptism. So baptism is not your salvation, it is a physical response to being saved, right? This is not my marriage. It's a tangible thing that I wear to show everyone that I am taken by my wife, okay? So baptism identifies us as Christians. Just like if you're a woman in this room and you marry a man and you take on their last name, it's the same thing. You're taking on the name of Christ. It is identifying you as a follower of Jesus. So if we are going to take on God's name, if you will, the name of Jesus Christ, right, onto our lives as Christians, it should be a very visible turning point in how we live. So that's a pretty big thing, and I don't wanna deter you from getting baptized today, but if you get baptized, you're taking on the identity of Jesus, which means there's a certain standard by which we are to live, right? And that's okay. God gives us the ability to live by that standard. So one's heart should start to change when we accept Jesus, One's heart should further mature and change when we take this public profession of faith through baptism, okay? So like I said, here's my hope. My hope is to show you evidence from the Bible as to why baptism is a big deal. The first piece of evidence that I wanna show you may be the most blatant, maybe the most important, and that is the fact that Jesus was baptized. Jesus set the example 
for his followers. So if you get a Bible, let's say you don't have a Bible, you go to a bookstore and you buy a Bible today, and let's say you're just really, really adventurous and courageous, and you wanna start in the very, very beginning. I always tell new, new, new Christians, they say, where should I start? I say, start in the, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, the New Testament, read that, and then go back to the beginning. Think Star Wars, right? You start on episode four, and then go back to the prequels. <laughs> Same thing with the Bible. It's a bad analogy, I'm sorry. It's the best I could think of. But if you're, if you're adventurous and you wanna start off in the beginning and read it straight through, when you go through the Old Testament, the way that humans were reconciled to God through the Old Testament was a pretty arduous process. What that means is you would have to take an animal because we all sin, right? So you would take an animal, you would sacrifice it, you would pour the blood on an altar, you would burn parts, discard parts, eat parts. It was a pretty rigorous process. And what that did is it did not alleviate you of all your sin, it rolled it forward to the following year when you would do that process again. And this is how you were obedient to God and your sins were dealt with. When Jesus comes onto the scene in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, this was going to change. Because what happened was, because Jesus dying on the cross, his blood became the ultimate sacrifice. It would forever take care of the issue of sin. So now we don't have to sacrifice an animal thank God. We don't have to do that and go through that arduous process. We just believe in Jesus, right? We, we repent for our sin, we're baptized in obedience, and we start following Christ, and that opens up the door for our restoration. So this whole process changed, and baptism was a part of that, in the book of Matthew. There was a guy named John the Baptist whose job was to baptize a lot of people, right? Makes sense. They say he baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people in Jordan River, and so he would be out there preparing the way for Jesus. And one day Jesus went out into the Jordan River, went up to John, and he said, I need you to baptize me, John. John, knowing who Jesus was, said, I'm not even fit to untie your shoes, let alone baptize you. But Jesus explained to John, he said, this is the way God wants it to be now. I'm here to set an example. This is the new path by which we honor God, right? And we're reconciled to God. So once he explained that to John, John said, okay, I like this. He says, John permitted Jesus to be baptized. Well, yeah, he did, right? <laughs> so anyways, John takes Jesus, baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. The sky opens up. The Holy Spirit descends down on Jesus. And then they heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is extremely important. The reason why this whole uh, chapter is extremely important is Jesus had nothing to get baptized for. He had never sinned. He was perfect, right? Blameless. So why did he get baptized? The answer is easy. Jesus got baptized to set the example for us, that it is vital for us to be obedient to what the Father wants. So Jesus set the example. The other thing we learn in this Jesus will not ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first. That's good leadership, right? Not only that, we also learn that baptism pleases our Heavenly Father. And so that's a part of that equation as well. So the first piece of evidence is Jesus' baptism. The second piece of evidence that I wanna show you is a little bit different. It is that when we are obedient to God and baptism being a part of that, there is an activation that takes place in the life of the Christian because of the Holy Spirit. So listen, a relationship with God is a process. 
As we move through this process of building a relationship with God, the Bible says that we are sanctified. That's a fancy word for saying that God uses us. He sets us aside to use us. And as we grow in our relationship with God, different choices that we make unlock promises that God has for us. If you read the Bible, there's a lot of conditional promises. What that means is the Bible will say, if you do this, I will do this. It says in the New Testament, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. That's a conditional promise. If you do this, this will happen. A really good one in the Old Testament, if a nation will humble itself, I will heal their land. That's a good conditional promise that maybe more people need to remember. And so there, I'm gonna, I'll quit doing that, guys. I'm so sorry. But another conditional promise that we find in the book of Acts is this. If we genuinely ask God to forgive us of our sins, and if we repent, uh, I'm sorry, and if we're baptized out of obedience, there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will be activated in our lives. We find this in the book of Acts. So if you're reading your Bible, and let's say you're starting the book of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. The fifth book is the book of Acts. And this is where the church is born. This is where the church begins. The church begins in Acts chapter two. It was about two months after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. Jesus had told his followers to stay in Jerusalem, to rent a big apartment building, we call it the upper room now, and that they were to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Christians had no idea what that meant, but they were to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now their prophets, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, had said that one day God would pour out his Holy Spirit. But again, they didn't know what that was gonna look like, but they knew Jesus told them to go, so they went. They go to this upper room. It started off with 500 people. It dwindled down to 120, right? This is even before COVID. Dwindled down to 120. And so all these people were up there praying. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind, filled up all the people who were up there. They started worshiping God. They started speaking in languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak. They poured out onto the street. This was in the time where a bunch of festivals were going on in Jerusalem. So people from all over the world were passing by and they see this weird group of Jesus followers over there miraculously speaking in languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak. And so they started talking with each other and they said, well, I guess the Christians are drunk because everyone knows when you go to a party and people are intoxicated, like Mandarin just starts pouring out of their mouth. That's good logic, right? And so, Peter, who is the leader of the church, heard that they were saying all these things, and he goes, guys, they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. What they are doing is the Holy Spirit of God that was prophesied to us is happening. And he says, the reason why it's happening is because God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and he resurrected. And then, G and then Peter told the people in Jerusalem, he said, and you guys were the ones that had him crucified. So this actually touched their hearts and they believed everything Peter said. And then they asked the million dollar question. They said, well, Peter, we believe you. What do we do? And this is what Peter said. Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look, here's this conditional promise. For this promise is for you, it's for your kids, it's for all those far off, it's for those who haven't even heard this yet. And it says that Peter continued to, to teach them and testify and urge them 
be saved from this corrupt generation. So this is very, very important. Look at this in the blue. Those that accepted Jesus, the message, the gospel, got baptized. It was the normative response in the Bible that when you accepted Christ, you immediately got baptized. And that day there were 3,000 people that got baptized. So what we see is another reason why baptism is important is because of our obedience, the Holy Spirit works in us. And we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm really anxious to get to teach 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 where it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because people get all weird about that kind of stuff. We don't need to be weird about it. Paul says we just need to be educated on it. We need to know why we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how God uses these gifts for, uh, 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 through us for other people and for our relationship with him. So we don't need to be afraid of that, right? It's part of the Christian experience. Another piece of evidence about baptism is Jesus simply tells us to do this. So I don't know about anyone else in this room. I, I am naturally rebellious. And, and, and when I'm not connected with Jesus the way I'm supposed to be, I can be a very rebellious person. I've also learned that because I'm, I'm now getting into my mid-40s, I'm just kind of getting crotchety, right? You guys remember when that happened in your life when you're like, well, it wasn't that way when I was young. And I'm like, oh my Lord, what's happening to me, right? I'm getting into that stage of my life. So because we're naturally rebellious, we're in, a, we're in a fallen state, that can be a problem. But here's the thing. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are claiming to follow him. We don't have to understand every path he takes us down, but we are saying that we are committed to following him. And if we claim to follow Jesus, we need to stop debating the word of God and we just need to do what it tells us to do. So here's the thing. I can't explain everything to you about baptism, but I know that it is imperative to do what Jesus tells me to do. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 28. This is called the Great Commission. What this is at the end of the, the book of Matthew is this is the direct instructions from God to what his church should be doing. All churches throughout all time. And this is what they're supposed to be doing. Making disciples, baptizing people, and teaching them everything that Jesus has taught us. And then Jesus says, remember, I will be with you till the end of the age. Here's something neat about the Bible. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, I'll be with you, but he's leaving. How is he going to be with them? In Acts chapter two, he is not with them in body, he is with them in spirit. He has filled them with his spirit. And that's how he is with his people. Make disciples, baptize, teach. And then Jesus says this, I quote this all the time because it's very, very important. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And one of his commands to the church was baptize. Disciple, teach, baptize. So one of the neatest things about baptism is its symbolism. And baptism is symbolic of a death and a resurrection. It is symbolic of a, the old self dying and the new self rising again. Listen, that's why when we baptize here, we baptize in full submersion, completely underwater. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to submerge in water. The reason why that's important is because it is symbolic of the old self going to the grave, right? Just like the water covers you, we would cover a, a corpse with earth, right? And then we, it resurrects out of that. That's what that symbolizes. Now, that doesn't mean that when we come out of that water, we're perfect or that we're never tempted again. We never have any struggles. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that the Bible says we are new creations 
and we are no longer slaves to our former selves. This is very important. So kind of a side note, a lot of times people will ask me, they say, well, Corey, do you think people can be born that way? Whatever that way means to them. Do you think people in this lifestyle can be born that way? Do you believe people who act like this can be born that way? And I say, well, yeah, sure, of course they can. All of us are born with some propensity to rebel against God because we are born into a fallen existence. That's why when Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus, he says, you have to be born again. We were born the first time into imperfection. We were born a second time into a perfect God. That's why we have to be born again. That's what that symbolizes, that rebirth. And so in Romans chapter six, Paul writes this. Man, this is huge. He says, are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism, right? Into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, look at this, we walk in a newness of life. We are not what we used to be. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, going under the water, certainly we will be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection, coming up out of the water. For look at this, for we know that our old self is crucified. This is why, listen, it is really, really bad theology when I hear Christians say, I'm just a dirty, wretched sinner. No, you're not. That is not biblically supported. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to remain in the same identity that you were in before you knew him. That is bad theology. We are not dirty, wretched, ugly, awful, you know, putrid sinners anymore. That's not who we are. We may mess up and make mistakes, but my identity is in the resurrection of Jesus, that I am not a new, I am not the same thing that I used to be. I'm a, I'm a new creation. That's why the Bible says, right? The old you is crucified. It has been rendered powerless. Look, that's what the Bible says. So you're no longer enslaved to sin since a person who has died, baptized, has been freed of that. Now, does that mean we're perfect? No, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means that we are not bound to our former lifestyles. We just covered that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which means we can be delivered. We can be changed permanently. The whole point of salvation is that God takes us off a road that leads to destruction, and he puts us on a road that leads to eternal life. It's the whole point that Jesus gives us a fresh start a fresh direction. Now, because we are now new creations, because we are on a new direction, it only makes sense that we have a new identity, and that is a part of baptism. So here's the thing. Baptism is not a magical formula. Um, I don't do many of the baptisms anymore. I'll be over there if you want me to baptize you, but if you have discipled someone, I want you to baptize them. Uh, at the last service, there was a young couple that's been walking with another young couple, and, and, and the husband and wife baptized the other husband and wife together, and, and that's how it should be, right? You walked with them, you baptize them. And oftentimes, though, when people do baptisms, they're like, Corey, what should I say? Is there like a special way to say stuff? And I'm like, just pray for them. Pray. If you don't have any other words to say, just say in the name of Jesus. That name holds all power under heaven and earth. Just say that. That's, that's all you gotta say. You don't have to say anything more. There's no magical formula. What we're concerned about is the genuineness of the person's heart getting into that water. That's what I'm concerned about. So in that, though, it is important that we pray for people, but it is the why. 
people are getting in there that I'm concerned about, that we understand why we're doing this, and that we also understand whose identity we are taking on. Again, just like if a woman gets married, they put on the ring and they take on their husband's last name, we are taking on our husband's last name. We are now carrying the banner of Christ around the earth. That's why Jesus said, you're the salt, you're the light. Not because we're good, but because we carry goodness in us that is God. He is walking with us. That's our identity now. And that's why the Bible says this. This is the scripture for America in 2022. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. There's no Canadian, there is no American, there is no Mexican. There is no slave or free. There is no low class, upper class. There is no male or female. That should be pretty self-explanatory. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying there is it's not that there's anything wrong with you being proud of being a, a strong female or proud of being from Canada or Mexico or the United States. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, your identity, what you are made in the image of is God. Not your nation, not your skin color, not your sexual preference, not your gender, none of those things. You're not made in the image of those things. And the reason why we have so much chaos in our culture right now is we are consistently trying to put a, a square peg in a round hole. We are trying to find our identity in everything, but the only thing that we are made in the image of is God. And until we recognize that, it will always be chaos. Do you know right now, you are the only thing in the universe that resembles God. You're it. You're the only thing made in his image. And until we understand and recognize that, we are missing it. That's why we live in the chaos that we do. But when we are baptized, we are adopting, we are taking on that identity. And that's important to remember. Above all things, how much money I have, what nation I'm from, what color I am, I am a Christian. That is what I identify as first. So the big question that everyone always asks, do I have to do it to be saved? Let me tell you where I'm at with, with, with Christianity in the Western world right now. I am so frustrated with a group of people who claim to follow Jesus, but are constantly arguing about how little they have to do to see him one day. That bothers me. It should bother you too. I'm gonna tell a story. It's, it's kind of funny. I haven't told it in a long time because it sounds mean, but ah, what the heck, right? <laughs> so the, the first time I ever wrote a baptism lesson, this is years ago, some of you have heard this story. I was, uh, I was at Starbucks because I've only had an office for like six years. And so what I would do all day for seven, eight hours a day, I would go work in Starbucks, which gets extremely expensive, right? When you're just sitting there for a long time, you're like, ah, I'll get another coffee. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've spent $75 today. So anyways, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm working at Starbucks one day and I'm working on this lesson. And, and if you were sitting by me, it's pretty obvious on, on what I'm working on. And there were two 20-something-year-old guys who had this stack of, of theology books, right, because they're both in seminary, I found out later. And um, they were looking, and I knew they were looking, but I just kept on working, and they're looking. And finally, one of them goes, what are you working on? And I wanted to be like, you know what I'm working on. Uh, he, he said, what are you working on? I said, well, I'm working on a lesson on baptism. And he goes, well, do you think you have to get baptized? And I was like, I mean, Jesus did it, and I'm following him, so I mean, I, I do think it's important. I said, do you guys think you have to get baptized to, to be saved? 
And they gave me all kinds of quotes from a bunch of guys from the 14th century and 15th century and the Reformation and all this stuff. A lot of stuff, none of it from the Bible, mind you. But anyways, they gave me all this, this, these quotes and stuff like that. And so after about 20 minutes of listening to them argue that you don't have to do these things, out of curiosity, I said, well, well you're seminary students. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, well, what, what denomination are you guys seminary students of? And they said, well, we're Baptists. And I was like... <laughs> When at that point, the irony was too much for me, right? <laughs> I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to this. <laughs> but where I struggled was this. Why, as a student of theology, would you be constantly wanting to argue about how little you have to do? The Bible says this in 1 Peter 3. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. This is an interesting phrase. This is not my marriage. Remember going back to the ring thing? This is a pledge to everyone else around me saying, I have a good conscience and a good relationship with my wife. I'm pledged to her. Your baptism is much the same thing. It is a pledge of good conscience towards God towards Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven, who is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. So what this is, salvation is more than getting dunked in water. It's more than one prayer that we say at a camp when we're 13 years old. Salvation is a relationship with your creator. Just like marriage is not your ceremony, marriage goes on and on till death do you part, right? It's the same thing with the relationship with God. And there may be that initial salvation that may happen when you convert to a Christian, just like the day I got married. And baptism is one of the first steps in that obedience to Jesus. So here's the thing. If someone asks me, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? I'll respond with that. And I'm gonna tell you the other way I respond. But my first thing is, well, do you believe you have to be obedient to go to heaven? Well, baptism is part of our obedience. Baptism shows the world our pledge to our husband that we will live a life that honors him in good conscience. So if you go through the Bible, if you go through the Bible, there is a normative response, the, the, the normal way that people would respond to Jesus Christ when they became a Christian. The first thing is, is they would believe that Jesus is the Savior. Now, I don't call this saving faith, and let me tell you why. It says in the book of James that the devils in hell believe that Jesus is the Savior, but they are not saved why they're in hell, right? So just knowing that Jesus is everything he says he is does not save you. It is living like Jesus is everything he says he is that saves you. So people believe, yes, Jesus is the Savior. They ask God to forgive them of their sins, and not just that, they turn away from evil things and start pursuing Jesus. That's repentance. They have daily faith, or what I call saving faith, which means they trust God with their life, they have a relationship with Jesus, they surrender to Jesus. And then all throughout the Bible, when people became Christians in the New Testament, the normative response was they were baptized. Now, the first argument I always get on that is, well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, I don't think the thief on the cross really had a choice to get baptized, did he? And here's the other thing. Jesus had a normative path by which he wanted people to, to, to obey him, and Jesus can break his own rules if he, if he chooses to. And so while that man was on the cross, today you're gonna to be with me in paradise. That's an anomaly, which means that was not the norm. 
If you go by the same logic that no one needs to get baptized because of the thief on the cross, you would also think that all donkeys talk because one did in the Old Testament. <laughs> hey, I heard there was a talking donkey in the Old Testament. My neighbor down the road's got one. You wanna go talk to him? That's not the normative. It's the only thing you're gonna remember this morning. It's okay, it's fine. Talking donkey, all right. So here's, the th here's, here's my point with this last part. I have a problem whenever people say, do I have to get baptized to be saved? I hate that question because I think it's a terrible question. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, that means that we claim to have some level of understanding, listen, we have some level of understanding that the Son of God came off his throne to live as a humble man for 33 years on earth, to be unlawfully arrested, spat upon, beaten, and killed, and hung on a cross for nine hours until he bled to death for my sin. If we understand that, at least a little bit, and our first response to that is, well, how little, how little can I do to still be saved? There's a much greater issue than baptism here. There's a much greater issue there. If our response is to how little we can do, or do I have to do anything, there's a bigger problem. So if we claim to be a Christian in this room, our, our questions about our faith should never revolve around, do I have to? So whenever people say, well, Corey, do I have to go to church? Do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? Do I have to be baptized? I don't know if you have to do any of those things. I don't know if I have to go on dates with my wife, if I have to talk to her every day, if I have to be intimate with her, but I wanna be, because I love her. She's my wife. If he's my husband, I wanna talk to him. I wanna please him. I wanna be obedient to what he wants for me to do in my life, because he loves me and I love him. So instead of our questions being around, do I have to, maybe it would be more appropriate for us to schedule our questions around, what can I do for you, Jesus? You have done so much for me, what can I do for you? Now listen, I'm not trying to guilt you into baptism this morning, that's not what I'm trying to do. But if one calls themselves a follower of Jesus, this is a part of the Christian experience and I would challenge you, why have you not taken that step yet? So here's the thing this morning. All of us in this room have an opportunity to respond to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The first thing is this. If you are in this room and you are not a believer, let's say you're on the journey, you're, you're searching, which is very, very exciting. If you're looking, if you're digging, if you genuinely want answers, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Savud is up here. He does our, our college ministry, evident. If you have any questions, he was the first Christian in his family, by the way. You can even ask him about that if you want. If you have any questions for Savut, you're welcome to come up here, talk to him, and he'd love to talk with you, okay? The second way we can respond in here is if you have not been baptized. Again, I just wanna challenge you, what is keeping you from that? If you wanna walk through this door here in a moment, we have clothes, we have towels, we'll get your information, not to bug you, but just to make sure that you're connected. We'll pray for you, the water is warm and clean. We have everything ready to go for you. So if you have not taken the step, I wanna encourage you, not only will it bless you, it will honor God, you will mature in your walk with God, it's a good thing to do. The last way we can respond, if you have been baptized in here, 
You have this opportunity this morning to ask God to forgive you of your sin, if you have any sin in your life, and there's communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, you can go get the bread and the wine, which represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we can take communion, and we can all respond to the cross some way this morning, okay? Let me pray for you, and then I'll invite you to, to, to go whatever direction you need to go. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this room today and to, to, to learn a little bit through your word, God, from your word. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that needs to ask any questions, Father, I pray that you just give them the courage to do that this morning. Lord, if there's people in here that maybe need to ask you to forgive them before they take communion today, that's perfectly fine, Lord. I pray that you convict them and, and Lord, that they're blessed by taking that communion with you. And God, if there's anyone in this room that needs to take the step of baptism, I pray that you encourage them and nudge them, God, in that direction, Lord. God, that it will be a blessing in their life, Lord, that it honors you. Father, we thank you. We love you. God, we pray that you protect everyone in this room, Lord, that you would keep your hand on us, God. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself however you need to. Thank you.